You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Amen. Thanks so much for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. Welcome to Southridge in this afternoon worship service. We're so glad to see each and every one of you. Welcome. Glad that you were able to make it this afternoon. Uh, Hopefully you are rested, got a cup of coffee maybe, and you are ready to dive into God's word uh, this afternoon. Let's take our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter number 8. 1 Samuel chapter number 8. And if this is your first time visiting us, we're glad that you're here. It's an honor and privilege to have you here. We are in a series entitled Relationship Goals. And I think everybody here has a goal for their relationship. Your goal may be simply this, to go on a date. It may be to not spend another Friday evening alone. I don't know what your goal is. It could be that, hey, I'm going to take my spouse onto that dream vacation. But we all have a goal for our relationships, where we want them to be, where we want them to go. We're looking at some type of goal. But here's the question. Who gets to decide your relationship goals. Because what I find nowadays is that we're kind of copying one another. We're kind of following somebody else's story. Quite literally, we're following somebody else's IG story and saying, well, that's what their relationship's doing. So that's what we got to do. Oh, that's a restaurant they went to. So we got to go there. Oh, that's the vacation they took. So guess what? We got to take that vacation. Oh, His woman looks like that, so guess what, babe? You gotta look like that. Hey, her man has a whole lot of abs, so you're just one big ab, and so like we, we, you need to be like that, you know? And uh, you know, we're setting goals for the relationship that are somebody else's goals. So the question is, who gets to decide the goals for your relationship? Because we all have them. But too often we're letting culture define the goals nowadays. We're letting culture influence the relationships. And in case you haven't noticed recently, culture is horrible at keeping relationships together. Like they, they are like, how many losses do they need to have before we just stop listening to them? I mean, they've lost all credibility, but yet they get up there and they give us advice. So I always just kind of crack up when people start writing books about relationships after they've been two or three, four uh, marriages, relationships, they're just in and out of, but yet they're now the expert because they've had so many failed relationships. Instead of saying, let's look back and find out some good goals for our relationship. And so I'm so glad that you're here. If you've missed any of the previous weeks, you can go back online. They're on YouTube, Spotify. You can go check them out. But the question is, who gets to decide your goals? What are your goals? Because too often, many of us are finding somebody else's goals. And here's the thing, that's just conformity. That's all it is. It's just conformity. And when you and I choose conformity in the relationship, you know what happens to your relationship? Everybody else likes your relationship, but you, because you 
developed a relationship that everybody else likes, and that's what everybody else thinks. Somebody came over to our house recently, and they were like, oh, your interior design looks like our interior design. I said, yes, because it's Chip and Joanna Gaines' style. You know, I mean, we've all been influenced. We're, we're picking the same style. There's not a whole lot out there. You're like, oh, no, I'm into the dark and moody color, so I've got that really dark blue with the gold. Well, good on you. I'm glad you're breaking the mold. That's wonderful. But for the rest of us that are kind of working this thing out, we're sticking with Chip and Joanna Gaines, all right? And so we're all just kind of copying but what happens is we bring that into our marriage. We bring it into our dating. We date like other people date. We marry like other people marry. We do our finances like other people do our finances. And we wonder why we're broke, unsatisfied, unhappy, undisciplined. Because most of the systems out there, they don't work. They don't lead to a life-giving, fulfilling relationship that lasts. And that's what all of us want. All of us want that great relationship. So there's three guys that went to go see a therapist and the therapist asked him this question and said, hey, if you only had four weeks to live, what would you do with your last four weeks? So the first guy steps up, tells the therapist, I would go to Las Vegas and I would spend everything and just gamble all my money. You know, just, 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 that's what I would do. Second guy says, oh, you know what I would do? Man, I would spend all my money and go on that world-class vacation. I would have a great time. The third guy walks up, tells the therapist, I'd move in with my mother-in-law because that'd be the four longest weeks of my life. I had to throw in one cheesy joke. This whole series, I've been so good. And last week, Jane was like, that was in your notes. You didn't use it. And I was like, I know that was such a terrible joke and I didn't use it. I should and so I saved it because it's the last one. So I had, I had, thank you for indulging me, all right? So we'll see if that's good enough to go on to the video this week. But I just had to get out that out there. Now, if my mom-in-law, she always listens. Mom, I'm telling you, no, that's not the case with me. All right, that's not it in case you're listening. Uh, but when it comes to our relationships, conforming is what is happening to a lot of relationships nowadays. And I want you to see how this plays out in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, take it to 1 Samuel chapter number 8. 1 Samuel chapter number 8. And I pray that this message is a help and encouragement. We're going to hit it from a different approach. 1 Samuel chapter number 8. Let's begin in verse number 1. And then we're going to kind of dive into this passage. We'll do a Bible study out of here and then we'll make some application towards the end. Verse number one, if you're there, here's what the word of God says. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And he said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice, however. You shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked for a king. Here's a passage of scripture. Israel had gone through a period called Judges. They didn't have a king. 
God was their king, their ruling monarch, but there would be judges who'd bring some order. And there's a book entitled Judges. So you would have uh, uh, Gideon, probably the most notable and famous of the judges. And you had Sisera, you had other judges that would, that would rise up and help uh, to deal with Israel's enemies. You had Samson was a famous judge. And so these were the judges that we saw. Well, in this day and age, you had Samuel was kind of the leader of the nation of Israel. And Samuel kind of had this thought that his two sons would take over for him. And yet his two sons followed in the path that Samuel's mentor, Eli's two children followed. They were wicked. And so here we see that these two sons have now caused a problem because now the nation of Israel says, hey, we're done with this whole judge thing. We're, we're done with that. We want a king like all the other nations have a king. And so we want to be just like everyone else. Maybe uh, your kids there hit a moment. My kids aren't quite there, thank the Lord. Uh, they came to you and said, hey, I want a phone like all my friends have a phone. Or I want to have a car like all my friends have a car. Or maybe you thought, I want to have a marriage like all my friends' marriages. Or I just want to go on a date like all my friends get to go on dates. I just don't want to be single like all my friends are single. I just want to be like everyone else. Once again, who is setting the goals for your future? Because this passage is so indicative of how human nature is. We want something, not because we truly want it, but because everybody else has it. It's simply that, oh, that thing must be famous or that thing must be desirable because everybody else wants it. Everybody else tells me we should have it. Everybody else tells us we should do it. A couple of friends, we were, uh, not we, excuse me, I had some friends in college. They went uh, and they were on the basketball team. They were traveling and they made a video because they were on tour and they stopped in a mall. They went to a mall and malls back in the day, Falco Mall, I think had this before they tore it down and uh, built apartments on top of it. They had trees that were in the mall. You know, it was kind of cool thing as you're walking through the mall, they put a tree and uh, this mall obviously had a tree that had been pulled out. So the whole basketball team's walking through and they're up above and they're looking down. And so what they started to do is they said, I wonder if we can draw a crowd by pointing at the dirt and saying, ooh, did you see it move? So the basketball team has surrounded this balcony looking down and they're saying, ooh, look, it's growing, something's happening. This basketball team of maybe 15 or 16 guys pointing at the ground started to draw a bigger and bigger and bigger crowd. And then it wasn't just the basketball team that was saying, ooh, I saw it, I saw it move, something's happening. Perfectly good strangers were walking up and saying, yes, I saw it too. Yes, it really is. Because that's what human nature does. Human nature follows the peer pressure. Human nature will trick ourselves into seeing things or thinking the way that everybody else thinks, even though their way of seeing and thinking is broken. So God does something interesting in this passage. God tells Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. Samuel made it all about him. He thought, oh, the people, they've rejected me. And God says, no, no, they have not rejected you. They've actually rejected me from being their king. You see, Israel was supposed to be an example to all the other nations that they didn't need a king because they had God to be their king. The perfect ruler and reigner, uh, the perfect one, the one that could solve the problems, the one that could rule justly, the one that was fair and wise and good. But instead, they wanted a man. And here's what's amazing. What was their reasoning behind? What, is their, what was their argument? We just want to be like everybody else. I'm afraid that too often, that's what we do in our relationships. 
Some of us will buy cars that we can't afford because we want to have the look and style that everybody else thinks, oh man, look at them. Or we want to go and do things that we say, well, we're just trying to please and impress them. And it has nothing to do with the actual developing and growing the relationship. We're doing it all for somebody else. And if your strongest argument for why you're doing it is because somebody else is doing it, that doesn't hold water. That argument's not gonna help your relationship grow and thrive. So what does God do? Verse number five, we see, and God said to him, look, you are old and his son's not walking your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Here's what's so funny. God gave them a new beginning. The Israelite nation was given a new beginning. But what did they do with their new beginning? They decided to repeat old mistakes. God will give you and I new beginnings, but yet you and I too often will fall for the trap and repeat old mistakes. God may, in this series, may have reignited some passions in the relationship. Remember how we said last week that God would give you new passion for the same person? And maybe you felt as you were in your prayer time, your devotions, that God was rekindling some things between you and your spouse. And all of a sudden you feel like, man, this is, this is a great new start. But then later on in the week, you already fell back into some bad habits, fell back into some patterns of arguing, fell back into some ways of critiquing. And you're thinking, man, God gave us a fresh start last week, but here we already are back to making the old mistakes. And that's what Israel's doing. They're a new nation. And already they're like, oh, we want to do this just because everybody else is doing this. And that's what happens in a relationship all too often. We fall back into the same patterns. We fall back into the same ways of thinking, the same ways of doing things. So we see that God gave them a new beginning, but they decided to repeat old mistakes. You see, they said, I want what I want, even if I don't know what I really want. They didn't know what they actually wanted is the reality of it. You ever been there? You go into Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors, and then you get there and you're like, oh, I don't know what I want. I'm just going to sample a couple things. I just still don't know what I want. That's what culture is today. I don't really know what I'm looking for in a spouse. I don't really know what I'm looking for in a husband. So let's just try this thing out. Let's just test drive this. And then people become disposable. Well, that didn't really work out. So uh, uh, just who cares? I'll, I'll move on to the next person and I'll mess up their life or I'll mess up her life or his life. And I'll just keep doing this. So we have this trail of broken hearts. People disappointed, disgruntled, upset because the way that we do relationships nowadays it's just through an app, swipe left, swipe right. And we wonder why so many people are just sitting back and saying, marriage? Like, it's hard enough to go on a date now to be in a committed relationship? I don't know if I can handle the stress and anxiety and the panic. Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness, it's so hard. It's so awkward. It's so tough. And then they say, no, I'll pass on it. So the nation of Israel, they said, man, we really want this, king. We really want this. Did your kids ever do this? They really want something? We were driving back from San Diego. My wife's family's in San Diego, driving back. And we were going to stop by Porto's Bakery. Anybody ever been to Porto's Bakery? Best place in Southern California. If you had the chance, stop by Porto's Bakery. It's amazing. It is worth the carbs. Just eat it. Your, your, your tummy will thank you later. It's so delicious. So we pulled up to Porto's just as the lady flipped the sign to close. And it was one of those moments where you almost want to like uh, uh, pretend you have a gun or something to rob them for their cheese rolls. That's the best, the little cheese rolls. And she closed and it's like you pound on the door. I held up Cain, you know, look at this cute little kid, you know. You wouldn't say no to a baby, would you? Actually, I don't even think we had Cain. I don't know who I held up. Maybe it was Jane or something. Like, please, you know. And then they said, no, you still can't have our cheese rolls. No, 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 no. Ate one in front of me. No, they didn't. 
But then we pulled up on our phone. There was a great donut shop at Universal City Walk, just right around the block. So we go there, we go to this donut shop. Typically, there's a line out the door of this donut shop. We beat it just in time. And there's my son, Austin. And Austin's looking at all the donuts. And you know, taking a little kid to a donut store is like the best thing. And they just see all these donuts and they're all excited to get a donut. And then he picks one and it's a giant donut and it's got this red frosting on it. And, and he's like, I want that one. And the janitor are like, no, you don't want that one. He's like, yes, I do want that one. As a matter of fact, I want it more now because you said I can't have it. We said, you're not going to like that. I'm telling you right now, pick a different donut. He's like, no, I want it. I want it so bad. It's my favorite. And kids always do that. Oh, it's my favorite. I got to have this donut. We're like, you, you got to have it? Yes, I got to have it. It's like Cold Stone Creamery. I got to have it, you know? And it's like, I just need it. It's not like it, love it. I got to have it. You know, it's kind of savage. And so we give him the donut. We're like, okay, we're going to step back. What he did not know was this donut's red frosting is actually the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the what, what candy? Yes. Yeah, it's this red peppery candy that was spicy the hot tamale frosting he bites into that and he's like oh this is so gross we were like we told you but you got to eat it now buddy you picked what you picked you said you wanted it but once you got it it wasn't what you wanted and this is what can happen in a relationship said oh I really want this I really want that and then you get and you're like oh this is not at all what I want I didn't want hot tamale frosting. Like, who wants hot tamale frosting on a donut? Like, that's just, there's, there's another church for people like that, all right? We'll just say that, okay? All right? And it's, it's like, what decisions this child is making, but yet we do the same thing. We pray, oh, God, please, please let me have this. Please give me this. And God's like, I know better. I know better for you because why? God created you. He created the desires, the likes, the dislikes. He designed you. He knows what's perfect for you. But yet you and I sometimes are like my son Austin. It's like, but I really want a hot tamale frosted donut. Like, yes. And we trick ourselves into believing we enjoy it. And we trick ourselves into thinking that this is better than it really is. Then we wonder why we're so disappointed You see, not only we see that God gave them the new beginning, but they decided to repeat old mistakes. God gave them what they wanted to show them. It's not what they needed. God gave them what they wanted to show them. It's not what they needed because there was no other way Israel was going to learn. There was no other way to show Israel that, wait a minute, you're choosing this king. You're choosing this path, but that path is not the right path. I know you're saying you want a king. And then for nine verses... Samuel lays out what a king's going to do. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your cattle. He's going to take your uh, uh, young men and young women and make them soldiers and make them uh, work in his fields and in his kitchens and serve in his armies. And he's going to take your land. And still they said, but we really want a king. We've got to have a king. Why do you want the king? Because everybody else has it. Come on, we... We remember what our parents used to say. If everybody was jumping off a bridge, would you want to jump off a bridge? And you're just like, yes, I want to jump off a bridge. All my friends are doing it. All my friends' relationships suck, so I want to have a relationship that sucks. Come on, give it to me, God. And it's just like, why are we stepping back and saying, culture's way of dating and marriage is broken, but yet Christians are following culture. It blows my mind away. It blows my mind away that the only time we want church is like, oh, well, we're getting married, so I guess we should involve a pastor in that. And then, oh, our relationship's really dysfunctional, and we're arguing, and we're fighting, we're about to break up. So guess what? Let's go get a pastor again. Like, it 
doesn't matter anything in between what led up to that. It's just like, hey, just fix this. And if you don't fix it, you're a bad pastor. You couldn't save this marriage that I've totally treated her like trash. I haven't respected her, haven't respected her boundaries. And, and yet the pastor couldn't fix it. So it's really his fault. Wait a minute. You said you wanted this. You, you said you needed this. You said you had to have it. And finally, God says, okay, the only way I can help you is by giving it to you. I sat down with a wise pastor about two years ago, and he said, you know, experience is the best teacher. And then he finished the sentence. And he said, for those who will learn no other way. Why is it that people now have to go through so many separations, divorces, heartbreak, setbacks, emotional wrecks before they get it right? Why do we have to have all the baggage and hurt of the past relationship to finally say, well, I have enough experience. I know how to do this right. Or does God have another way? Which obviously the answer is God has a better way. But yet we as God's people are still saying, just like Israel, we want a king just like everybody else. We want to be like just like everybody else. Let me ask you the big question. Do you want a relationship like everybody else? And if you're honest, you would say, absolutely not. I want a relationship that's not like everybody else's. I want a relationship that's unique. I want a relationship that's special. I want a relationship that's just ours. Then why are you copying everybody else? Why are you trying to do things the way they do it? Why aren't you trying to say, you know what, I'm going to follow God's plan because God obviously has a plan, so I need to figure out what that is. He lays it out for us. But the reason Israel wanted a king, because the king brought a false sense of security. That's really why they wanted a king. Because there was a God who they could no longer see. That's hard to trust and believe in. One person has wisely said that man's heart is an idol-making factory. That if we can't see God, we will invent a God that we can see. And so we can make a spouse our G-O-D, small G-O-D God. We can make our job our small G-O-D God. We can make our uh, social media status. We can make money, wealth, fame, success. We can make all these things our little deity that we say, we're going to follow that. And we pursue that because it brings a false sense of security. And today that's what people are looking for. They're looking for some sense of security, just something to hold on to, because the world's so insecure right now. So some people will say, a bad relationship is better than no relationship. You know why people say in a bad relationship? Because they don't want to look like they're alone on a Friday night when all their friends are alone. They don't want to be by themselves on another Valentine's, another anniversary, another birthday, another holiday. So they would rather be in a jacked up relationship than to say, you know what? I'm single, just waiting on God for the right one at the right time. It was awesome. Yesterday, uh, Angel uh, Casillas, who helps Stephanie worship lead here at Southridge, he got married. And he shared some of his testimony that he and Jennifer got married. And I didn't know this part of their story, that he actually asked her to get married seven years ago. And she said no. And I was like, ooh, that's hard. Man, you're a good man. You, you still held on and waited and everything. It's amazing. Just amazing. But yet... He said, no, I know what God wants for me. I'm willing to wait and work. I'm willing to, to, to pursue the right one. But too often we want to settle for something. 
We just want that little bit of security right now. Our nation's looking for a little bit of security. Some people are looking for a little bit of security. I don't want to get off topic too much. But government's not our security. It's never going to be there. Get the vaccine if you want the vaccine. The vaccine's not going to be our security. You can say, well, church is going to be my security. Church cannot be your security. God and God alone is our security. Jesus Christ is the only one that we can rest on and rely on. He is the anchor in the storm. He is the one that's always been there, always will be there. He's the one we have to trust. He's the one that as the world is going crazy right now, as the world is just upside down, as we're looking at a world that's just gone amok, doesn't know which way to go, doesn't know what's right or what's wrong. Every boundary is being confused. The fact that this week some of the trending topics where Mr. Potato Head has to be gender neutral and we can't read Dr. Seuss, I'm thinking there are people that are being aborted by the tens of thousands. There are people in Yemen that are starving to death. There are people in Africa who are being kidnapped and they're being put in the slave trade, but yet we're talking about Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss, what is wrong with the world today? And that's the, where the world's at. So you and I, we can get all upset or we can say, you know what? I think God's got a plan for all this craziness. I think God's got a better idea than for us to simply say, well, I need some security to hang on to because our job is not going to be our security. We can't even make the mistake of saying, well, my spouse is my security. Understand this. A spouse is a gift from God. That's an amazing thing. That's a wonderful thing. But understand, your spouse is not your number one. They're your number two. God is always our number one. Always. Because what happens is when you make your spouse your number one, who just became God in your life? Your spouse. And all that pressure is now on your spouse. All that expectation is on your spouse to live up to your expectation. And only God can carry the weight of our expectations. Not that spouse. Nobody can carry that. Nobody can always be on 100%, 100% of the time, but God is always there. But yet we've got a culture that says, make your spouse, make your boyfriend, make your girlfriend, make your fiance, make them your number one. And so we, we, we look back when the relationship fell apart, we're like, but I did all this for you. Look at everything I went through. And it's because we lost sight that God is still number one. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. God is saying, keep me first. I'm, I just finished up the book of Deuteronomy, and it's Moses before he dies on the mountain. And he reminds Israel. He's saying, keep God number one. He, he, he told them about the promises. And he's saying, stay faithful to your God. But too often, we don't. And really, it's a trust issue, honestly. It's a trust issue between you and God. Because our trust issues are really our control issues. That we want to be in control and we don't trust God enough to say, God, we don't have what other people have. And maybe that's for a reason. I, I'm not what other people are. Maybe that's for a reason. I'm, I'm created differently. I'm created in God's image for this time and this moment. And so, God, I'm going to trust you that you know best. Even when my heart desires certain things, even though I want certain things, God, I'm going to rely on you. Because too often you don't understand that as if you go outside of trusting God, you're going to encounter things you don't know how to deal with. If you want to write this down, this may be a help to you. There are four stages of your relationship. First of all, there's the romantic phase. 
where the relationship, everything's great. It's all romance. It's, everything's good. That guy, that girl, they do nothing wrong. They're perfect. And man, it, even when they call you at like two in the, in the morning, you're just like, oh, I just love hearing your raspy morning voice. It just sounds so cute. Now, if they call you at two in the morning, you're just like, you woke me up at two in the morning. Like, I almost, I almost lost it, you know? But there's that romantic phase. After the romantic phase, we move into the next phase, which is the reality phase, that their breath stinks in the morning and they snore at night. And other bodily functions happen when they are sleeping at night. He look over and just like, and then they go like this with a blanket and all of a sudden that hits you. Not that I'm speaking from any experience at all. My wife, on the other hand, and that's the reality phase. The reality phase is like, wow, man, this is, this is not what I expected at all. Like what happened to happily ever after? There's a reason Disney movies stop when they stop. They don't want to show you anymore. They don't want, they, they know that the fairy tale ends at midnight. They, want, they, they don't want you to see that, guess what? There's some problems. So you go from the romantic phase, the reality phase, then you go to the retaliation phase where it's like, oh man, I don't have to put up with your attitude. I don't have to put up with your, with your tone, with your snarkiness. I don't have to put up with that. I, I'm, I'm a grown man, you know? And then we finally go into the phase where it's the rejection phase. That's standard, par for the course for most relationships. We laugh because we know it's true. But that's not God's way of doing it. That's culture's way. And culture says, once you leave the romantic phase, then just jump into another relationship so you can quickly get to that romantic phase again. So you can feel the butterflies. So you can, so you can feel the, the jitters again. So you can just get that endorphin hit again. So just keep hopping from relationship to relationship like that. That's not God's plan. And that's what Israel wanted. They just want, hey, we just want to have what everybody else has so we can feel like everybody else. But then we see in verse number seven, the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have re not rejected you. They have rejected me. They got what they wanted and gave up what they had. They gave up God. They rejected God. I don't think we let that truth set in enough that God says, it's not you they rejected. If they've just rejected you, Samuel, that's a little thing. They've actually rejected me the one that brought them out of Egypt, the one that did all the miracles, the one that brought them into this land, the one that fought their battles, the one that was there, that cured them from their diseases, that rained manna from heaven, quail from the east, the one that provided water from a rock, the one that showed them all my signs and wonders, that's who they've rejected. They lost something. You know, when we choose to do relationships like culture does, you know what happens? We start to lose sight of everything that we do have. Jane and I, on our way back from getting to go on a, on, on a great trip to Hawaii, it was amazing. I sat there and we were in a, just the airport, we're waiting for a connecting flight. It was really early, like five in the morning. We were on our way back. We we're sitting in LAX and we had some points. So we went up to a, a sky lounge and we're sitting in the lounge. And I was just thinking like, there's all these dreams and goals if you have your relationship. There's all these things you want to do, things you want to accomplish. And you just start to like write some things down in your journal. And then you just, I started to get a little dissatisfied. 
and you're thinking, man, that's, you just got back from Hawaii and you were feeling dissatisfied. I know, I'm just being totally transparent. And then I looked over and I saw a dad with a daughter that obviously she has severe medical problems. Feeding tube in the nose, early in the morning, it's five in the morning. You could tell she had developmental delays. She was probably 10 years old, but she had the body of maybe a four or five-year-old girl. You could tell there's been some difficult days. But here was a dad just sitting there in the Delta Lounge with this girl. And he said, you wanna have some Cheerios? And I'm just watching this. And he hands her his iPad. And this girl was so happy. She was just sitting there, she was so happy. She was just, this is a trip with her dad. You could tell she was either maybe at Cedar sinai Hospital in LA. There's been some serious things just sitting there. And then the dad just looking down at his daughter. And I was thinking, you know what's going through his mind? That he doesn't know how many days he gets with her. So it doesn't matter what kind of car he drives. It doesn't matter what kind of shoes are on his feet. It doesn't matter how much money is in the bank. Because in that moment, she was sitting there with her iPad, watching some cartoons, eating some Cheerios with her dad, and life was perfect. Our culture today says you can never be satisfied. That you have to have this luxury car, this incredible house, that you have to have all this plastic surgery, that he's gotta look like this and gotta have this job, gotta have this status. And you never just stop to say, you know what? We barely got two pennies to scratch together, but guess what? My kids are healthy. My wife and I, we love each other. Life is great. Because culture is telling you, you need this and that, and you can't have it. And what happens is you finally get that, but what did it cost you? They gained something, but they lost something greater. They lost the pearl of great price. If you read the New Testament, what did Jesus say? There was a man who went into a field who found a treasure of great value. And the Bible says he sold all that he had to go and buy the field because he knew the value in the field wasn't the dirt, but it was the treasure. What is the treasure? The treasure is Jesus. The treasure is God. And it was saying that he would sell everything. That doesn't make sense to culture. Culture doesn't understand that why you would sacrifice everything for your wife to say, hey, I'm going to have a strong marriage. They don't understand why you say, hey, I don't do business trips with a member of the opposite sex alone. They won't understand where you say, hey, I don't just take a cab back from a trip after the bar with somebody that's not my spouse. I don't just do this because I want a relationship with that person. And guess what? With that person, I can have a great life. I don't need all the thrills because God gave me this person. There's happiness here. And culture's never going to understand because culture's constantly asking for a king. They're constantly asking for something else. They're never satisfied. They're never content. And it's crept into the church where the church now says, oh, my wife has to look like this. My husband has to look like this. and has to be like this. And I'm not satisfied with my children. And I'm telling you, thank God that your children are with you. They're alive and they're healthy because there are some people here. They're not as blessed as you are. There are some people who would give their right arm to have what you've got. And you're sitting here and you're so discontent and you're so upset and you're so bitter that you don't have all these things. Instead of saying, God, right now, show me everything you've given me. Because they got something they thought they wanted, but they lost something greater of ultimate value. They lost God in the process. 
And can I tell you this? I've seen people, they've chased money, they've chased fame, and guess what they lost in the process? They lost God in the process. The church is chasing something and they are losing God in the process. There are people that will gather in a church, but God is not there because they were chasing something else. And we wonder what's happened to our society. It's because churches no longer seek God. They've given something else because they want to be acceptable and popular and relevant. And they want everybody to accept them and like them. As culture today is indoctrinated in the next generation. My phone's on the front pew, but if I held it up, I got a text message from Charlie Kirk this morning. And I flipped open the text message and he said, here's a leading, a leading voice in transgender that's influencing our children today. The leading voice said this, said, hey, you're all worried that trans people are going to go into your restrooms and abuse your children. And I showed it to somebody before the service and he said, you just don't know. They're not as straight and narrow as you think. They're not saints. Implying that kids would actually like to be molested. That's a leading trans voice. Where's the church? Where's the outcry? This is somebody who sits on this administration influencing policy for our children. Where's the church? A lot of them voted for this administration. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to say you don't know what you gave up. You don't, you said, I want that, but you lost something in the process. Some of you are losing your spouse, you're losing your children, you're losing your integrity because you think, oh, I just got to have that when you can't open your eyes and say, God, show me what you've provided me right now. Show me these good things right now. Show me that this marriage is good. Show me that there's value here. But sadly, we're enamored with what culture tells us to be enamored by. With what culture says to value. Culture values what's visible. Do you know that? Culture never values the invisible. They never value purity. That's why they don't care about virginity anymore. They don't. It's not a big deal. They don't care about it because they can't see it. Today you meet a couple. They go down the aisle and, and you say, hey, are these two virgins? Nobody cares. Even in the church, that's like, what? Really? Come on, you don't really expect church people to really practice it a little bit archaic. We're not nuns here. Once again, culture has influenced the church far more than the church has influenced culture. I know this is tough. I'm sorry on four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. This is probably not exactly like a, a good, feel good message. I'm sorry. But we're looking at a world and if we don't stop and say, we have to stop the madness and say we're chasing kings and we're settling for garbage in our relationships. And we've got to step back and say, God, why are we doing what Israel's doing? We wanted something, but we gave up something in the process. We gave up so much more. And then we're going to look back one day and be like, what happened? Because we gave up far more than we thought we were giving up. Would you write this down? God saves the best for those who leave the choice with him. God saves the best for those who leave the choice with him. You say, what do you mean? This is actually an old Jim Elliott quote, famous missionary who died as a martyr trying to witness to the Aka Indians in South America. He was speared to death, never got to lead one soul to Christ. But the very man who put a spear right through Jim Elliott was won to Christ by Jim Elliott's wife. But Jim Elliott at Wheaton College wrote this quote, God gives the best for those who leave the choice with him. He said, what are you talking about? 
Did you know if we back up, and this is why it's so important for Christians to be in their Bible. I'm I'm woefully disappointed by how little we know about the Bible. That's why if you say, hey, why do we cover so many Bible passages? Because it's so important that you and I have an understanding that you can't just cherry pick passages. You need to dive deep because God knew Israel needed a king. Do you know that? God wanted Israel to one day have a king. Do you know that? As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy, this is several books prior. This is hundreds of years. This is generations before. God made allowances that Israel would indeed one day have a king. Let me read the passage. It's Deuteronomy 17. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me. God knew exactly what they were going to do. God said this. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. God said, I know you're going to choose a king, but leave the choice with me. Let me choose who that king is. What did they pick? They picked Saul. Why? Head and shoulders above everybody else. This dude is the biggest, baddest, toughest, most muscular, good-looking dude. I vote for him. I vote for Pedro. That's who I want to be president. That's, That's it. Let's get him in. Because why? We're always looking, we're always measuring by the same standard. We value the visible. When are we going to get back to the point where we say, hey, it's the invisible. It's the things I can't see that really matter. The most important thing about the Golden Gate Bridge is not what we do see, but it's what we cannot see. It's what's below the surface. That's what supports that bridge. The most important thing about you is not what I do see, it's what I don't see. It's the internal side of you. It's what's on the heart. And this was always man's problem. After Saul was rejected from being king, Samuel goes to anoint the next king. And does he start with David? No. He starts with Eliab, David's older brother. Because why? He said, hey, he's very tall, very handsome, good looking dude. Let's pick him. What's he doing? He's making the same mistake with Saul. And then God has to remind him, hey, don't look on the outward. For man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. God looks at those other things. This is why when you're jumping into a relationship, it takes time for you to finally get to where you can see the invisible things. Put them in a pressure cooker situation and let's see what they really like. I was laughing. I did my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's, or sister-in-law, my sister's wedding in October. And it was COVID-19 and they had known each other less than 19 weeks. And I was like, I can't believe you guys are getting married. You guys barely know each other. And then I began to pray over it and I began to do some marriage counseling. And then I went to Genesis and I was like, oh, well, there was one couple that knew each other even shorter. And that's Adam and Eve. They knew each other for like three minutes, maybe tops. And they got married. So I was like, well, you guys know each other a little bit longer, but not long. But yet I said, have you guys been through anything? Do you know his character? Is he an angry man? Is he a, a slacker? What type of man is this? And I told him, I said, hey, this is my sister. I know all about her. But do you, do you know what you're getting into? Do you know what you're to expect? And here we have to once again say, you know what? When it comes to my marriage, I need to leave the choice up to God. I need to leave the choice up to him. What is, how, does, how does God want us to raise our children? How does God want us to steward our finances? Do we do Christian school or do we do a, a public school? Do we, do we go to church or do we not go to church? Do, do, do we have devotion together as a family or do we not? Do, do we pray together or do we not? Do we have family game night or we, do we not? Uh, uh, do I take my wife on date nights or do we not? Do I date a non-Christian or do I not date a non-Christian? Do I sleep around or do I not sleep around? 
Do I get wasted with people who aren't Christian or not wasted? What, what, what am I supposed to do? And we come back to these decisions and we wrestle with these things. And I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to say, God gives us an answer for these things. Some you will like, some you will dislike. But remember, God leaves the best for those who leave the choice to him. God wants to give you his best. He created you. He designed you. And he can bring into that wonderful relationship that you want. But you've got to trust him. But so far today, we have so few people that really trust God. But yet, you're going to get into a relationship. And you're going to hit a wall with that person. You're going to be forced to trust God. Because there's nothing else you can do. So why not right now say, God, I just trust you. This is intense. This is hard. Jane and I watched all of our friends get married way before us, years before us, and we we're so frustrated. We we're just like, man, we're watching all our friends get married. Why can't we get married? Why are all the, why the, why the waiting? Why? And then we look back, and they were like, oh, man, we didn't wait long enough. Man, we did that three years. We should have waited a lot longer. We were not ready. Oh, my goodness. We should have had this saved up. We should have had this plan. We should have done this. And then you just say, you know what? God had his timing. God had his perfect timing. So you can rush the process and be like, man, I just want this now. I just, I just really got to have this. But then you're going to miss out on something because here's what you really want. The next few moments, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. You want this in your relationship. And it's three words. You want deeper, fuller, fewer. That's what you want. I, gotta, I, I need to illustrate this because it's going to take just a minute just to show this to you. Sorry. Huge stage over here. Because here's what you're wanting with your relationships. I want to make sure everybody can see it. I want to do a little visual. Because culture today, the way it does relationships, is backwards. It's not the same. The way culture does relationships is so foreign and it's just right into culture. The way all relationships work is, is it, it's like everyone, someone, no one, you're one, okay? And here's how relationships kind of work, all right? It's this inverted triangle. You say, what do you mean? When it comes to people that know you and are close to you, and then when people just like trust you, have transparency, they have uh, emotional collateral, it's kind of like culture today says everybody should kind of like you and know you. That's kind of culture. And we call it a social status, right? Because you don't want to be canceled. You want everybody to know about you. And so today, everybody just kind of puts everything out there online. Everybody kind of knows about them. And so it's like, man, everybody, everyone just kind of knows the most about you. And then someone, it's actually a little bit less. We want to be guarded with family. Come on, let's be honest. Those of you, your parents are still around. They do not know everything that has transpired in your life. There are certain things you, you keep from those someones in your life because you want to preserve an image that they have of you. Could be your boyfriend. And then there's like the nobodies. These are just people that, let me be frank, I've not been to a bar, but there are people that will go to a bar because they know they can just share anything with the bartender. And guess what? He ain't going to say nothing because he knows none of your friends, none of your family, and he's just a nobody. I don't go to a bar, I go to a barber, okay? He's not allowed to come to our church. I told him this, I witnessed to him, I was like, you always have to go to another church, bro. I just, I share weights and just kidding. But it's like, there's that nobody. You're just like, hey, we're not gonna follow each other in social media, we ain't gonna, and then there's that, you're one. And culture today, they know the least. You say, how do we know this is true? The statistics right now 
of what's coming out of COVID-19 and the couples of what they're finding out about their spouse is blowing people away. They're finding that the dude's got a whole nother family somewhere. Like he has a whole nother life that he's just created during COVID and all of a sudden it comes out. One guy, this is why it's good and bad if you're good with technology, forgot that his phone's hooked up to his laptop and he's in one room on his phone texting his wife's on his laptop and the text is coming up on the screen as he's texting his girl on the side and his wife's working on the laptop. Yeah, this is all this stuff just kind of comes out because that's the way culture kind of does it. The people that you're one, girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, wife, why is it they know the least? Why is it they're way down here with trust and transparency? We need to invert the triangle. We need to invert it because you want what I said you want deeper, fuller, fewer. You want to increase depth in your relationship. You want to increase trust in your relationship. Everyone else should, everybody should know actually just less, less about you. Then there's this family. They get to know a little bit more. Or you could switch it. You could say, my no one. I just put this in there. It's more fun. You could cross it out if you don't want that. But your one, your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, if you want to build a deep, strong connection, they should know the most about you. And then they should know that guess what? Everybody else actually knows less. There are things that I know about Jane that her parents don't know right now. Our children don't know. Our church doesn't know. It's just between her and I. Some things are good things, some are burdens, some are weights that just she and I carry. And we know we're the only two people in the world that are carrying that weight. And even though it's a heavy weight, it brings us to tears at times. You know what it does for our relationship that just she and I carry that weight? You know how strong our relationship is? Because it's just her and I. It's nobody else. Yes, God's in the mix, okay? That's a given. This is church, so you gotta say God. But understand Culture doesn't do this. Culture doesn't say, hey, deeper, fuller, fewer. It kind of gives you this impression that everybody needs to know all of your business. Case in point, Prince Harry and is a Meghan Merkel and Oprah interview. The tell-all interview, they said it's going to have more views than the Super Bowl. I don't know if that's true or not. Why do we care? Why have we gone back to this? Why is culture doing this? It's none of their business and it's destroying relationships when there needs to be. And honestly, it comes down to they just want attention. I just want attention. I, I, I don't really care and value that it's just this. And that's why we don't have deeper, fuller, fewer relationships. As you want to go deep, go with fewer. Go less. And this is what culture doesn't understand. This is why we have such weak relationships today is because you're just trying to be deeper, fuller with everybody, and you can't do it, and you're frustrated by it. And there are certain things that you only share with your spouse. Let me tell you this. Your spouse, if she's a woman, will have an emotional affair before she ever has a physical affair. The man will have a physical affair long before he has an emotional affair. How God wired us. But what happens is they start sharing this with everybody. Let's go back to the illustration. Remember the guy I said he was on his phone texting this girl on the side and the laptop? He had a whole different life 
and he met her in the park walking his dog. And he was just putting out the vibe, just looking for anybody who would pick up on what he was dropping down. Just, just somebody, just casting a wide net. He's a married man with a couple kids. Why is he doing that? Because that's what culture does. Culture says, play the field. Culture just says, hey, it's not fewer relationships. It's more relationships. It's, it's, it's this backwards inverted. But here's what that leads to. It's the upside down life. You say, well, pastor, to have a deeper, fuller relationship, that's hard. Yeah, if it were easy, everybody would do it. But it's not easy. But I know something about you is that you want to have a strong relationship. You want a relationship that's unlike anybody else's. You want a relationship that is so strong that it can withstand the storms. That when you go through the deep, dark waters where it's painful in the relationship, where you're facing the burden, that there is somebody that God has put in your life. And then in that moment, you realize, this is why God gave me to you. And this is why God gave you to me. Because there's no way I could go through this with anybody else. Pursue depth with that one. Say, you know what? We, we just haven't, there's, there's a block. There's, I have my bank account, you have your bank account. We're not really united in this. I have my passwords on my phone. You have your passwords on your phone. And, and there, we, don't, we don't really have that, that deep relationship that we need that's gonna be strong. Because I know the strong relationships, they love fiercely, they forgive freely, they speak kindly, and they cherish de- dearly. And I know that's what you want. Culture doesn't have it, but you can have that. But we've got to stop this whole, I'm asking for a king. Worship team, I'm going to invite you back up on the platform. I've gone over my time. I apologize. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Not enough time, too much material. But I think you've gotten the point. That culture's way of doing relationships is broken. But yet, the Christian community, I, I, I can't speak for anybody outside of the family of faith. I can't speak to them. I could speak to us. We have the words of life. We have the truth. I could speak to us. And, and, and I know sometimes it's hard to hear it. But we live in a culture that needs to see healthy, strong marriages. The Bible begins with a wedding. Jesus always talked about a wedding, and it's going to end with a wedding. Marriage is so important. We've got to come back to this idea of saying, God, this, you have a way that you want this to be done. Because I know that you want a deeper, fuller relationship with fewer people. And God wants that for you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray with us as we wrap up. And maybe you're saying, hey, Pastor, would you pray for me? It's hard out there. It's hard, it's hard facing the struggle, the temptation. I want to have a good relationship. Would you, would you pray for me? And if that's you, you slip up a hand so I can pray for you. I see those hands. Oh, God bless you. Thank you for your honesty and transparency. God bless you. You may put your hands down. You know, the first relationship, the most important relationship is the one that you have with Jesus. Do you know him as your personal savior? Do you know that you'll spend an eternity with him? That's the most important thing. Hey, husband, do you know the most important thing right now is that you actually might look back one day and say, those were the best days. And I was always looking over my shoulder for something else. And I never realized that that moment, man, that was a beautiful moment. 
is to sit there and say, God, thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for this life. Thank you for this moment. Cherish it. It's a gift from God. We're going to sing and worship with one last song. And as our custom is, we're going to open up the altar. And if you want to come pray at the altar, you want to make an altar right there of your seat, I invite you just to spend some time with the Lord, seeking Him. Maybe you're going to rededicate your relationship, your marriage. Maybe you're going to say, you know what, Lord, we're going to put you first. I'm going to pursue you passionately. God, I don't have a man or a woman to pursue, so right now I'm going to pursue you. And I'm going to find some friends, and we're going to pursue you together. I'm going to get into a good life group, and we're going to figure this thing out, how that we can, we can stay pure, we can honor what God has told us in His Word, and how we can live right. God has it for you. And let there be a generation that says, you know what? We're not giving up on this idea of what a godly marriage can look like because God gives the best for those who leave the choice with him. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. God, you're so good. You're so good to us to let us worship you on a Sunday afternoon with the sun shining. God, there's so many good things. I know the world's crazy and it's upside down and there's, it seems like Satan is just flaunting all his evil everywhere. But God, we know that you are ruling and reigning. Nothing happens without your notice, without your influence. And so God, we thank you. We thank you that there is still a light set on a hill that shines bright. I thank you for the people of Southridge Church who boldly say that we will pursue you. We will share the gospel. We will not be silent. There's too many marriages that are falling apart. There's too many relationships dealing with hurt and baggage for us to be silent about this. That we must speak the truth. So Father, help us in this moment. Be with those that they're under the social pressure to give up their purity, to be like everybody else, to just walk away from their Christian values, to just continue to follow culture and to suffer the same faith, the same broken hearts, the same uh, uh, travesties that we're seeing in this world, God. Help them to seek a new path. Help them to seek you. Help them to delight in you because you created them. You made them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open. You can come forward. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.